Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Patrick Hamilton. Patrick is one half of the Kill by Kill podcast, and we hear he's the third youngest Eagle Scout in California history <laughs> and can fashion a compass out of the tears of bears. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> can you verify the, the validity of that statement? <laughs> Greetings and salutations. At the time I achieved the rank, I was the third youngest Eagle oh, Scout. Okay. I, I don't oh. know that I may have been surpassed many times over. <laughs> I don't keep in contact with the uh, the Boy Scouts. You don't. Uh, no, the reason I became a, an Eagle Scout so quickly is that I saw all these kids like being uh, being told by their parents like you won't get a driver's license. You know, oh. we, we, we're going to hold all these advancements in your life as a teenager over your head unless you achieve this <laughs> mark. And I'm like, I don't want to wear this uniform in high school. <laughs> I'm getting this over with. And oh, that's my what I God. did. I like no girls talk to me. I'm 12 years old. What else do I have to do with my summer? And I just went through all of these merit badge things. And by the end of it, I'm like, I'm an Eagle Scout. I don't have to do Boy Scouts anymore. And then my dad sent me to, to Boy Scout Jamboree in uh, Virginia. And the lightning struck three different people. And it rained oh. the entire time. Excuse spent... me? <laughs> it's Were you air... at Camp Crystal Lake? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It's one of these things where they they do it on an army base or an air force base. I can't remember which, but it's like a it's a lot of open fields with some wooded areas. Luckily, we were in like a wooded a area movie. and the kids in the open fields, three of them got struck by lightning the year I went and the Beach Boys played twice. They were supposed to be just the opener. <laughs> But they ended up being the closer because the closer didn't show up and the they were still around. I don't know. I spent the entire wow. time in my tent reading a Stephen King novel. Hell yeah. That whole yeah. story sounds fake and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet 
it's true. Uh, my parents, my parents bought me a camera so that I could take pictures while I was on this trip. They all came back blurry. And the reason why is we were never allowed to stop to take pictures. We were just on a forced death march throughout this whole thing. So I had to take pictures as I walked. Um, you didn't so get yeah. any sick, nasty pictures of the beast of the Beach Boys. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I did not. No, uh, I did not care for them at the time, nor did I care for them after. Uh, I, uh-huh. I can't. No, I'm not a Beach Boys fan. Wait, that's also hilarious that they were playing at a Boy Scout jamboree. Jamboree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. It's a lot uh, to think about. Lots of digest. I lots think, of lots of I ponder. Th- <laughs> I, yeah, I, Mike Love has gambling debts that he needs to pay off. I don't know what it is, but he, they're out there. They're grinding. <laughs> um, I guess to change gears a little bit from the Beach oh, no, Boys. I wasn't brought on here to talk about how the Beach Boys scared the hell out of me as a child. That would be hilarious if someone did. But uh, <laughs> so, Patrick, how did mm-hmm. you get into horror films? Or horror in general? Well, I can... It really comes down to me being an intensely scared child. Like, I was frightened Mm. by absolutely everything in life. I grew up Mormon. And in in California, I was always told about, oh, the pioneers coming across the prairie. And there were all these horrible stories of people, like, dying of dysentery. And it just... (laughs) really scared the living hell out of me that God was so interested in what I was doing. He was always involved and it just blossomed from there. This constant eyes over my shoulder. And then my imagination was so overactive that things that seem, you know, very benign, like the theme to the pink Panther cartoon, and movies, the Henry Mancini, it's a very jazzy tune. Da-dun, yeah. Da-dun, da-dun, da-dun. Scared the hell out of me. It's wow. meant to evoke someone sneaking into your house. And because he's a jewel true. thief. And That's I mean, true. That is true. I didn't know anything about the actual movies or anything like that. Just that, the, that jazzy little tune just made me think, someone's coming. Someone's coming to get me. Someone's coming to get me right now. <laughs> so <clears throat> you said you grew up Mormon, but so yeah. were you, you like, what was the, were you allowed to watch horror movies in your household or was it going to come to you later and no, a little bit later no, in life? It all <laughs> came to me later. Everything was verboten. I had to get okay. special permission to watch the 76 remake of King Kong on television. Uh... Like there was no access for me to horror movies of any kind with the, and I felt like I needed to find a way to examine what was scaring me. And luckily for me, my library at school had the answer. And it was this little series of books from Crestwood house called the monster series. Oh, yeah. And they had Frankenstein, Creature of the Black Lagoon, these little black and white with orange covers on them. Yes. And I could read about all of these older horror films and sort of uh, demystify the process. Like, all right, all right, I'm scared to death of the Wolfman. But if I understand the Wolfman and what he is as a character, 
all right, now I've demystified it a little bit. I'm not as as panic-stricken about the idea of lycanthropes running into my house in Glendale, California. (laughs) So that, for me, was the beginning of, like, all right, I need to seek out information to to sort of let the air out of this balloon. And then at one point, my nana said, I'm not buying you toys anymore. (laughs) Just a decree. There's too many kids in your family. You're the oldest. (laughs) Cut you oh, off. Oh no! Um, it was fine. She was right, uh, and she said, "But listen, I'm going to. I, you know, I would spend every Saturday with her, and I would carry her groceries and take her around town. I was a little, like a caddy for her, and mm. she said, i 'I'll buy you anything you want to read, though.' Mm. And so that became an open invitation to buying X Men comics and buying Mad Magazine compilations. Oh, wow, yeah, and one afternoon. At the Gelson's, I asked her to buy me a Fangoria magazine. Ooh. And so she did. She's like, it's on the bottom shelf at the grocery store. Like, it can't be that bad. Uh, I wasn't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to take them home, but I could read them at Nana's house. And that gave me all this information of like, oh, this person looks like their throat is slit, but it's this whole process of building makeup on top of their throat and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So that to me was like, oh, I want to be a horror makeup person. And I don't, I don't have that kind of skill. My hands don't do that. But from that, it was that thing of like, I, if I learn more about this, I won't be so scared in the world. And mm. that's where it was really born. Mm, that's so cool though. Yeah. I probably was a real pill to my parents. <laughs> uh, my imagination constantly ran away with me. Like I was scared to death of what was going on inside of Pirates of the Caribbean or uh, inside, you know, inside various dark rides at theme parks. Like my mind would just run away with me at the drop of a hat. But if I knew a little bit more about it, I could overcome it. And so... Uh, but my parents were n- in no way, shape, or form uh, approving of my enjoyment of horror or <laughs> horror-related products. Do you remember uh, what what the first horror movie was that you saw? I'm the 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 memory that comes to me is yeah. the TV movie from 1972, "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark." Okay, uh, it okay. played. In the afternoon, every um, I'm old, the (laughs) afternoon movie would play on ABC and every summer they would have like a horror thriller week. Right. So Mm you trilogy of chair would would show up and stuff like that. And they played this thing (laughs) and we were we happened to be, you know, our one vacation of the year on Balboa Island in Newport Beach. And in broad daylight, this TV movie goes off and the ending of that movie sent me into catatonic fear. Really? Just, oh, it, I mean, they remade it yes, they, <laughs> with Katie Holmes. With Katie Holmes. It's not That's, yes. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to remember where I knew that name from besides the original. Guillermo del Toro okay. loves that movie as well. Yes, he does. Put, put us in the same category. <laughs> Obviously, everything is equatable. I'm a genius on that level. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, but uh, the ending of that movie just haunted me. Like, I have a Blu-ray copy. I've not put it in my player yet because I don't want to break the magic spell. Yeah. But I want to own it. So. 
That's so. And how old were you? Do you remember how old you were? That was, I was probably six or seven okay. at that point. So you still um, got to experience kinder trauma via horror movies, even though you weren't really allowed to watch horror yeah, movies. Yeah, but you know, I don't know that, I mean, that's a made for TV movie. Like, it's a lot of ambiance, and, you know, True. and I think an adult watching that would kind of scoff on it, but it just, it, it, it hit me at that right point. And then everything past that was like things that I would catch on the side, like Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, oh, uh, originated mm-hmm. here in L.A. And she was on on Saturday afternoons at four. And, you know, she played the worst movies, <laughs> mostly on purpose because they were cheap yeah. and you could make fun of bad movies more than make fun of great ones. Right. Um, but, yeah, that's it. Cool. Um, so... Turning into an adult, because like I mean, your I mean your your podcast Kill by Kill is all about going mm-hmm. through these franchises and these horror movies and and Hannibal and stuff, going th- through it kill literally kill by kill. So yeah, w- when when did that sh- that were, were you able to watch horror movies and when did that how did, how did that change as as an adult, as like a teenager? Yeah, um, uh, I had a local video store, it was a mom and pop shop run by a, a very lovely Vietnamese couple. They would not allow me to, I would go in and try to rent videos and they just refused. <laughs> <laughs> At some point they, they hired a, a, a kid who looked like he was stoned from the moment he walked in the door. 100% he was. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I, I said, please, please, I've heard all about Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. I have to watch this movie. And he goes, you know what? Normally I would say no to you, but that one I think you'll be fine with. And he rented it to me. And I was like, I'm in. All I want (laughs) to do is watch this. This is... This is everything I want. So I sought out opportunities to work in video stores as a teenager oh. from that moment on as a way like, well, I'm on the job, on the job. you know, <laughs> you can't, you, you can't stop me from doing it if I have access to my own supply. And so I eventually found work in video stores and just started cranking through whenever I could. And luckily for me, I was the only person in the house who knew how to operate a VCR. Oh, like, so, oh. so, you know, I gained access to late night with David Letterman by knowing how to do that. I had gained <laughs> access to Saturday night live and USA up all night because I knew how to program a VCR. So those little elements, you know, gained traction for me. And then, you know, as an adult, I, um, there were movies that I loved movies that I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it kind of went through a fallow period in the two thousands because horror kind of did like, I would show up occasionally, but there's a lot of your saws are not my bag. Um, nothing against them. It's just not something that I have an emotional connection to them. Or I remember how the audience screamed, you know, those are not memories I have. Right. And then, Really, 2010 and that Evil Dead remake. Oh, so good. It's so good. It's so and good. Cabin in the Woods. And it, ju- it just felt like, th- and House of the Devil. Mm. It just seemed to be like a thing. Like, hey, you know what, what could be cool? If we made some 
good horror films and that it came from a variety of people and that variety kept multiplying and there was good horror from overseas to Mm -hmm. watch as well because in our fallow period you know japan and europe and all these places that were still you know those those uh movies are still coming our way Um, there's all this great international stuff and it's such a wide and expansive variety now that i i just said you know this is kind of my thing like i got a kid you can only have so many vices and i'm just gonna (laughs) narrow it down to like collecting and watching and liking horror movies and i don't need to be a guy on youtube with a beard with a wall of dvds behind (laughs) me but i can this is a thing that i've always liked and now is my opportunity to just like it a little more oh yeah yeah so when you when you watch movies now do you get like that that kind of childhood fear that that brings you back to watching don't be afraid of the dark or are you like the rest of us now kind of like Mary Beth and I sort of jaded or how does that, how does that feel to you now? Well, I, the one thing is I, I tend not to watch new movies as a critic. Mm, I just mm kind of want to get lost in it. Mm, Um, And if something comes, what, what the revenge is, is that that imagination, that component elements of that will just get burrowed into my brain. And then Mm. at three o'clock in the morning, I will wake up and it's right there. There you go. And that's the idea that lingered from that one thing is right there to wake me up. Well over a decade ago, (laughs) my wife and I were in Hawaii trying to sell a book and we almost did. And uh, part of it uh, that after this sort of book conference and trying to get an agent and stuff like that, we went out, took the road to Hana trip. And my wife, who's a great travel detective, found this uh, yurt. That was on the edge of a cliff above a black sea beach. It was just the most gorgeous locale. There's no one around you at all. And you're just out there sleeping and showering and cooking food in what feels like no one is around. And we'd had this great day and had this lovely meal and we'd hiked and, you know, made love and and we both go to sleep. And about 20 minutes later, I wake up going, wow, I'm really exposed to the element. <laughs> well, you can see a street light up there. Wonder if somebody came walking down that street with a knife in their hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't sleep a wink. All I did wow. was create the strangers scenarios <laughs> of me in this yurt exposed to the elements on all sides. The only escape is over a cliff. Like everything that had made it beautiful and wonderful now became a trap. Wow. So that's what happens to me. Wow. That element of, of the thing that I see isn't so much in the moment I'm watching it. It just, it, it, it pops up below the surface as if it's, it's the raw meat of a dinosaur (laughs) and it goes into the ground and it bubbles up crude of fear later. Wow. (laughs) yeah that happens to me a lot that's where a lot of my um a lot of my stuff comes from too like i have uh, ocd and my ocd people have heard this in the show before my ocd manifests as intrusive thoughts and sometimes that happens with horror movies is like i'll get certain scenarios in my head and just Mm -hmm. play them over and over again like i was babysitting my cousins a year ago and they have a house that has like a bunch of windows to the back porch into the woods Mm -hmm. and boy oh boy 
all I could think about was the strangers or whatever uh-huh. weird thing I could tap on the window with a knife. Like yeah. I was just 100% convinced it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm right there with you. I, <laughs> I've, that, that strikes uh, at my, my, my home. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite horror movies as an adult? Like what are some of those movies you've gotten lost in recently? Well, you know, they come from, a variety of places. I will say, you know, as we went close to ha- to to Halloween, I like showed my wife a uh, host on Shutter. Oh yeah. yeah. And as much as I had enjoyed that solo, it was more fun with her to have that communal experience. Yes. Certainly that's the one thing that seems to be missing a lot these days like the last movie i saw in 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 the theater that wasn't sonic the hedgehog so the second (laughs) to last movie that i was privileged to see uh i have a 10 year old um (laughs) is uh was underwater oh Um, yeah yeah. and i love leviathan i just that's one of my favorite you know 80s faves yes it's a thing ripoff yeah it doesn't quite work but Super fun it's makeup, fun. great characters. It's underwater. Lo- loved the characters in that movie. And I just loved how they achieved the media res of that story. It just tells you who these people are as it goes. It doesn't, you don't need a ton of backstory. It's just right in there. It was fun. It was, it was nerve wracking. I was sweating and gripping the seats and. That what I think feel that is a, a scad undersung at this moment because so much has happened that I, that might get lost in the miasma of things this year. But I I really enjoyed that one it's as so well. Good. I forgot that was this year. Like it's so it's so interesting to think. Like you said, it, ha- it came out in January and like everything has happened, and I completely yeah. forgot that that is that was a twenty twenty release. It really but was. It's such enough. a it was such a fun theatrical experience when really I saw was. it. Yeah. It was so fun. It's such a bummer that Fox sat on that for so long and, <sighs> yeah. and you know you know, I would you know, listen, I don't want to watch movies with T J Miller in it either. No. <laughs> but that's about like the least offensive T J Miller has been in a really long time. And they yeah. just found a way to just make that simple idea sing and the distance everyone has you just feel it and it was the closest i've been to an experience of the descent which oh. i still i have a very hard time thinking about the descent <laughs> that is that that movie is a wonderful motion picture it, i just rewatched it recently and it is such a fucking good movie like yeah. it is so beautifully done yeah Great again, great characters, simple idea, um, and it finds a way of what could be because we've all seen the trapped in a cave thing done so terribly, and in here they just find a way to transfer the idea of being trapped in such a small space, and. Uh, just draw you into that motion picture. And Mm -hmm. so that would have been one of those movies that, that, that pulled me back in. And another that I think about all the time that was shown to me by, by a friend um, was excision. I, Oh my God. Excision. Excision is just about 
one of the most little brilliant character piece based horror movies. And the, again, another ending I think about all the time. It is just uh, uh, right now I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Shout out to Tony Kaufman, who absolutely loves Excision and talks about it all the time and got me to finally watch that movie. Terry, did you watch it yet? I haven't, but um, I will be soon. Yeah. It is gorgeous. Like, it is slept on. It really is slept on. Like, it is such a good, weird, upsetting in a good way movie. And it because, you know, Ricky Bates has a way to ride a line that's really interesting. Yeah. There are very few people who can play with that tone. And the only sort of group that I feel like comes close to that are a lot of movies that you get out of South Korea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where they're able to ride comedy and drama and the supernatural or just abject horror and weave those things into a package that you wouldn't normally accept, but he just finds a way to do that. And you see it a lot out of, out of South Korea and Japan. Yeah. Uh, people who are just able to milk those disparate elements into a finely woven motion picture there. Yeah. It's, it's amazing watching um, South Korean genre pictures that, that do that. And, because it's it's a it's a skill that we don't I don't I don't think we t- necessarily get here. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. I I've been meaning to watch Excision and Tony's been poking me for it. So I will be watching it soon. I promise. I I have I really want to see it. So we're gonna talk to Gina next week to check up. So don't lie. Mm-hmm. But how did Kill by Kill come together from your perspective? And what is the podcast about? <laughs> um. I. I love um, Friday the 13th movies. They're my warm blanket. Okay. And one of the things I love about them are the idea of trying to create a character in such a short period of time. That sort of actor dilemma of, all right, I think I got maybe five minutes of screen time. How do I make it so that the audience misses me when I'm gone or fears that I will die or goes, Oh no, no, not him or her. And that is an interesting dilemma from that standpoint. And I love the details in it. They're just so ramshackle. They were produced so quickly. (laughs) They have little time to do the sort of labyrinthine plotting that you would later see in something like a a, a saw or um, the paranormal, uh, the Paramount movies. Um, paranormal Activity. Paranormal Activity. I just those, watched. I just watched that today. <laughs> yeah, uh, those 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 franchises were able to kind of piece together an elaborate backstory. Mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth doesn't have time for that. It's like we're running and gunning, baby, and. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to talk about these movies and my wife said, I'm done. And so (laughs) I had to find somebody to do that with. And, um, you know, I live in LA, I work in the industry. Uh, People were a little cynical about podcasts at the time. Mm. And they're like, you know, this won't do anything for your career. I'm like, I don't need this for my career. My career does not depend (laughs) on this. I want to do it because I think it would be fun. Gina, I knew from uh, a different podcast, uh, their Facebook group, uh, it's the flop house. It's the mm-hmm. granddaddy of all bad movie podcasts <laughs> and a uh, very funny show, a couple daily show writers, uh, their bartender friend, very simple concept. They watch a bad movie and they talk about it. 
and they have a they had a nascent uh, Facebook group that at the time I think was like 500 people. Now it's in the tens of thousands. Um, but at the time, like you knew everybody, like every you could you knew everybody in the group. And Gina was the one person who had all the pop culture references I had, mm. and she has the ability she she just open open empathetically to things like people instantly love her she's and there's great. a reason like she's just she's very smart and she's very funny and she has a way of an acerbic wit that i was like oh i recognize that flavor so i asked her like let's give it a shot let's like let's talk about friday the 13th and at the time uh, the de jour of podcast was minute by minute. And I'm like, Ugh, no, thank you. I don't <laughs> want to talk about Friday the 13th minute by minute. I'd hate the movie and I'd hate the podcast. Not that people don't do it. Well, I just didn't want to do it. And so I'm like, but if he did it kill by kill, wait, <laughs> and that, that was the light bulb. So we tried it out. We tried it by ourselves. We threw a bunch of episodes away and tried it again. And we kind of figured out a, a rhythm to it and the technology allowed us to do it because I'm here on the West Coast. She's all the way in New York City and we've never met in person. We wow. only have this relationship via th uh, the Internet. Yeah, it's, it's Terry and I, too. We've yeah. never met in person either. Yeah, And I I just think it allows us to know one and we, we've gotten to know one another via this. And that also invites the audience to get to know us conversely. And I think people deep down, they have a relationship with Friday the 13th and they like to hear people talk about it. We weren't the first. We won't be the last. Oh, my God. Um, but at the time when we started, I think there were like 12 horror podcasts. I counted. I just wanted to make sure someone wasn't doing exactly what we were doing. Right. Yeah. And since then, you know, as a genre, horror has been very, very explored. And the nice thing is that people have mostly found a new way to enter the dialogue about horror and we're also getting points of view that are well outside of here's a guy who looks exactly like me and has all my pop culture references and has my white hetero says thoughts and we're expanding well beyond that to all these other areas so i get to hear about all these movies from all these different perspectives and that has been very very cool over the last four years and inviting those people on our show that's that's been a real joy yeah that's awesome because i i i it's a it's amazing to me gosh i cannot speak today it is <laughs> um amazing to me that you've that you started this back in in 2016 and you tore through all the Fridays you've torn through all the nightmares I I it's it's crazy that you've kept it going for so long I think that's awesome <laughs> and you are now you you were doing you're doing scream and you're alternating with um Hannibal is that is that what you're yeah. doing right now oh well, I love we, it <laughs> yeah I mean we we uh sort of hit the season three we finally got to Freddy versus Jason we <laughs> we exercised that demon <laughs> Um, and so we're like, what are we going to do next? And we kind of toyed around like maybe Halloween, like yeah, everyone, we were asked many, many times Halloween and I'm like, let's just give it, let's just do whatever we want to do for a little bit and then we'll get to it. And then as we kind of went, um, the pandemic happened and we were in lockdown 
And all of a sudden we had more time to talk to one another. And we're like, what do we do that we could do together that would, because we're an every other week podcast, because mm-hmm. that's about all I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do that would be like, you know, short and fun and would be a fun activity for us that we would always look forward to watching an episode of Hannibal is one of the best activities for that. Hell yeah. It so is. we picked that up and we went with it. And then I sort of, I wanted to watch scream. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to watch scream and I was a little afraid because most of what we cover on the movie are fun trash. You know, the, yeah. <laughs> like I, I enjoy watching these movies, but, but you know, outside of something like a nightmare on Elm street, we're not hitting on real classics. <laughs> and I feared talking about Carpenter's Halloween because what is there left to say, given that everyone else has had a shot at it and people far smarter than me have covered it. So I don't know that that's my bag. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know what? I want to watch Scream. Let's watch Scream and see what happens. And it turns out everyone was very into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. People everyone have, loves Scream. People love Scream. Yeah. And, you know, we just... We'd been stuck a little bit in in the 80s, uh, which is understandable given my age. But um, we also talked about Mikey this year. And that was another only 90s kids will understand sort of sitch. And that one went through the roof as well. So it's kind of like, let's explore a different decade. Let's let's mix this up a little bit. So we don't try to do things back to back to back to back. Uh, and obviously I don't think we can cover scream the same way we covered Friday the 13th. There's just not that volume of death. (laughs) Um, (laughs) right. But, uh, it is interesting to watch a true craftsman at work and Craven is so good at that point. And he's working with someone else who's worked out how people talk and the plot. And he's just free to make it sing. And it just, man, that is a damn good movie. It only gets better with age. I was a little afraid, but uh-uh, it's good. It is good. It's good. Mm-hmm. I will hazard to say the sequel is better for me, but it is a good I, movie. Uh, you know what, Terry? I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I will say, personally, I'm very much looking forward to covering two because I think the suspense sequences in two yeah. are peerless. Yeah. I I think there are, are sequences within that. The Sarah Michelle Geller sequence. Oh, that's so good. The cop car sequence. Ugh, my favorite. The 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 room that has a, the sound booth, that, the... that one classroom that has the soundproof wall. Yeah. There those are really good suspense gags. And they work. And it's a miracle because they had to redo the movie because the script leaked. Yeah. It's a that movie is a <laughs> miracle, just a miracle. It really is. So I I really when you're you're in an alien aliens situation there mm. where it you know you can't fault people for liking one over the other. That's a good but comparison. people also don't go. But Alien is trash. No one right. goes like I love Scream too, but I could like Scream doesn't do anything for me, kid. Like I don't think that truly exists unless people are like devils advocating it up right but mm-hmm. it will and then we get the three and it's a whole different <laughs> ball game kids 
so Patrick, we've talked about your horror history and some of your creative endeavors, but what movie are we discussing today? We're going to talk about the movie that made me look out the window and wonder, am I going to die tonight? And it's <laughs> called Friday the 13th Part 2. So, um, in the second entry of the long-running horror series, it focuses on a group of teenage would-be counselors converging on Camp Crystal Lake for training. Inevitably, they learn the story of Jason Voorhees, a boy who ostensibly drowned at the camp and whose mother murdered a group of counselors in revenge. No one takes the tale seriously until a very much alive Jason begins gruesomely eliminating people. So... Tell us your horror story about this movie. How yeah. old were you? Like, what scene scared you? What was happening around you? Paint us a picture. So, um, as I had previously mentioned, my family typically took a single vacation every year to Balboa Island mm-hmm. and rented a house. One particular year, and this must have been 82, I, I have to imagine, the I I don't know exactly where it was in that realm, but it had to have been 82, 83. We decided that uh, we, like I was involved in the decision. My parents decided they would rent a cabin for a week with another family, a local family, and that we would all go up there and, and stay in this cabin uh, for the summer. Uh, or not for the summer, for like two weeks, as opposed to Balboa Island, which was very controversial. Um <laughs> And uh, in this rented cabin, there was a, a small bookshelf of what looked like illegally dubbed tapes. Oh, yeah. I know either those. from VHS to VHS or taped off of an HBO. Who's to say? Right. Um, but one of those tapes said Friday the 13th, one, two. And I, that became, I like, I would go every day to just look at this handwritten videotape. Like, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to find a way to watch that. And I'm going to watch it. So at one point uh, it, on during this two weeks, the parents decided I'm sick of staying around all these children. You all watch yourselves. <laughs> we're going to go out for dinner and we're going to go bowling. Oh, perfect. And they figure, like, what is the worst that will happen? <laughs> the worst that would happen was that uh, a young Patrick would go, this is my opportunity. Yep. I'm going to watch that movie. <laughs> I put it in. It started with, like, me, my next younger brother, and uh, the the oldest daughter from the other family. And as soon as it went through the opening recounting and as we played it, I assumed this to be Friday the 13th. It turned out that they had recorded part two first. Oh. Um, and I didn't know. <laughs> it's just, it starts telling a story. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, have I missed some things? By the end of, of Alice's remembrance of the first film, Everyone else had drifted out of the room. Like, they're just, I'm done. <laughs> I don't care about this. I, I saw someone's head fly off. I'm out. <laughs> and I watched Friday the 13th Part 2. Other kids would drift in and out of the room. And in my head, I thought, this is the perfect crime. Because my parents are not here. How will they ever hear that I've watched <laughs> this movie? It was very quickly told to them when they returned. And I was... Uh, grounded uh, for quite a while, 
But on top of that, uh, I also got to look out every day and night out to this very wooded <laughs> community in Lake Arrowhead. And I freaked myself out. <laughs> Uh, everywhere I looked, I saw a bag-headed Jason peering out from behind a a, a, a very tall pine. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a it, it we it, like Arrowhead has a lake. <laughs> oh, everything about it, outside of it, how much more brown it is than New Jersey. It basically this was the worst idea of all time. And <laughs> it sounds like the best idea to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Uh, it was just, it seared into my brain. Like it is primarily like, it's the one I have the fun, most fondness for. Yeah. Although I would say that, um, final chapter is sort of the platonic ideal of Fridays because it's everything you want in a Friday the 13th movie. And part two is still finding its feet. But um, it, it's it's got a, a lot going for it. It's got great characters. Uh, the director loves butts, so you see plenty of those. <laughs> he definitely does. He really loves butts, and he can't believe they exist, and he just has to photograph them to make sure they're real. <laughs> and make sure they're in the shortest of shorts. Yeah. And this movie is, it really does hit that sweet spot of 70s turning into 80s. Because it's, it was filmed in 80. Yeah. So it's just right on the cusp. Yeah. And so uh, it, it just, it lived on in my mind for from then on. So what, um, do you remember what scenes in particular that like would linger in, in your mind after after watching it? Because like there's, I, I don't know how old you were at that time, but like there's some evocative scenes in this of like, yeah. I mean, they uh, it's it's cut from what was originally in there, but like still some some of those scenes and sequences are very, um, I can imagine them lingering. Yeah, Alice's death at the beginning, yeah, when she opens the refrigerator door and and see what a sees jump Pamela's head rotting inside, and then she gets a, an ice pick uh, through the temple. Yeah. Um, really, really got to me. Like Jason is, looks like he's lived in the forest. It's the only Jason that looks like the, his natural environment has taken a toll on him. Mm -hmm. And so that I was very afraid of, of, like I said earlier, the prairie, the great outdoors, the lack of modern convenience, all of that just scared the little hell out of me. But I think the thing that that third act, I think, is probably the best third act in any Friday the 13th movie. It just moves and it creates a sense of danger. The night is very black. It's opaque. You cannot see like some of them, like part six. There might as well be a UFO landing in the background. <laughs> it's just so bright. It is. So it's bright. not to say it isn't well photographed. It is. But this is still has that grimy edge of being an under budgeted cheapy. Yeah. And so the night is you don't know what's happening out there. You only have one light source. The a, a twig snaps. Is mm -hmm. that a raccoon? 
is it that stupid dog muffin that Jason looks at <laughs> okay. from a camera point of view of his penis? I we te- don't know. I texted Terry and I was like, this is a top tier ending where it ends with muffin. I mean, I know that's not the full ending, but like muffin yeah. at the door. I was like, this is top tier. This is amazing. <laughs> this is everything I want in a, in a movie. It's just so ridiculous. And yeah, everyone's I like, don't... muffin. <laughs> <laughs> How could anything bad happen now? We found muffin. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> Me laugh. I was like, you know what? I love it. I've just it's perfect. The music becomes like that kind of saccharine, like over the top melodramatic. Like, oh, yeah. oh it's such a happy mm-hmm. ending, and yeah, it's 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 a good like. I mean, it's a good um answer to the first one where it's like also you know she's it's all happy and she's in the lake and mm-hmm. stroking the water, and then mm-hmm. of course the the jump scare. So I think it's a good like retelling of that kind of ending. It is, and you know, Paul is such a you know, himbo is so useless. <laughs> and so Ginny useless. is so, is, is pretty smart. Like she's, I know people make a lot of play like, Oh, she's a smart final guard and everything. It, it's more like she is actually, um, more aware of her, of her situation. Yeah. She just, it, it takes the information as it comes to her and, and figures, how can I make my way out of this? And, it's not some sort of grand pronouncement of what a final girl is. And I will only say this here, and I don't mean this as, as any sort of cor- correction in any way, shape, or form. It's just a, a general misconception of the of the franchise. These movies do not feature teenagers. The, these kids are college age and older. They're not meant to be playing teenagers. Teenagers primarily don't have these jobs they're college age and older mm-hmm. they're buying their own video games blah, 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 blah. and so it it that is meant to differentiate it from halloween which was a teenage horror film and later nightmare on elm street was like we're gonna have teenagers mm-hmm. so friday the 13th really is a slightly older affair like these Mm. kids should not be they're not like alone in the woods they can rent cars (laughs) you know what i mean right they can rent cabins there and we've all been fed this very simple line of like what's a friday the 13th movie teenagers go to the woods have sex do drugs die and it's like that's not actually what happens you can you can be like Ginny and have sex with a really hot dude who doesn't have anything going on upstairs, but you know, <laughs> what's in his pants works. Apparently right. uh, she can drink just fine. And she lives people who abstain from all those things die. That is a misnomer. Mm-hmm. It is something that people who misread men, women, and chainsaws sort of regurgitate, or they hear Randy in scream and go, Oh, I know what this is. You, uh, I mean, I can understand that misconception because we've all heard it, but when you, when you watching the movies, the way we did and taking notes about every single movement and weird pant choice, they make, <laughs> you begin to notice that this is not really that what these movies are. It's, it's an oversimplification, oversimplification of them in order to make them seem dumb and small. They're dumb and small in their own ways, but not in that way. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's true. And going back to, to Ginny, the thing that um, I really liked this time was I, I, I did pick up her, um, 
she has she has a humanity about her. I loved the conversation at the bar that she has with um with her himbo boyfriend um where he's like where she's talking about she's trying to you, you mentioned kind of she's taking in her information and then she's like reasons through it. Well, and she's doing that in this in this little bit of monologue where she's talking about how it's giving a nice little exposition dump of like, this is what we're to expect from Jason, but it's also kind of setting him up as almost a sympathetic victim to the whole thing. Cause he's yeah. talking about how, you know, Oh, he must, he might not have understood death until this point. And then he sees his mother dying and then there's that rage. At, and then, you know, it's, she, he, she says it's bizarre. I mean, he must be out there right now crying for her turn, and her resurrection. And it's a bit of, of, a little bit of, of story exposition, but it's also, a way of both humanizing her as a final girl and and Jason is as the, mm-hmm. the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Well, and so I wanted to go back to something you were saying, Patrick, about Memoman and Chainsaws and how the final girl is defined in that text and how a lot of people compare final girls to Carol Clover's um, own discussion of the final girl. Yeah. And I think in watching a lot of slashers recently – like Black Christmas and Friday the 13th, I think there's something to the final girl that is missed a lot of the time in terms of discussing trauma and centering it. It's so much, it's so often centered on the woman or like young female characters, virginity, her sexuality, and like her personality, but it's not centered on her experience so much. And I think Mm. there should be more discussion about the final girl as a personification of trauma and dealing with trauma and what it means to be traumatized. And I think that can even, that can apply here Friday the 13th because like, obviously Jenny is a woman who does adult things, but she goes through this traumatic experience. And I think it should be more grounded in that kind of discussion of why we like to watch women experiencing trauma and what that means for horror and what that means for our depictions of, of trauma and PTSD. Cause, yeah. cause Terry said something in our notes that was really fascinating about the beginning of the film seeming like a story about PTSD and how she is so scared the whole time. I mean, it's also with a recap that takes six minutes and that's like (laughs) kind kind (laughs) of previously on Friday the 13th. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it is a really interesting look at that PTSD. And that's something I would love more of in horror is kind of looking at that effects of those things and not just killing her in like the yeah. first 10 minutes but i just that's supposed to be my tangent because i love the final girl and i think it's so much more complex than a lot of people i think the term is much more complex than people give a credit for um yeah so yeah well i mean but the converse element of that is like there is a ton of conservative misogyny baked into the cake of a slasher that it's it is it is worthy of discussion and mm-hmm. it is worthy of examination and you compare this part this part two that came out the same year uh, uh, well i guess halloween 2 comes out the year after uh halloween 2 feels infinitely more misogynistic all the guys die just off screen yeah. or through an opaque piece of glass they they slip and they fall but they're kind of li- like they're not it's just like something happened to to Bud. <laughs> what are you gonna do? And but this half naked lady, she has to boil alive for their face. And yeah. they're like, "Hey, that 
there you go. Like I completely get the conservative, you turn me on, you have to die element of slashers, but they also don't apply to every film in the canon. And I've, and it's, and it's, while there's a ton of male gaze happening in Friday the 13th movies, um, I believe the depictions of those characters, and one of the reasons why we wanted to do the show was to talk about characters in a more complex, nuanced, and broken down way, rather than skimming over them, as many people do, just to talk about, you know, a kid who gets a a hatchet to the face. (laughs) And that's great. I love it. Living and dying by that kill, it's fantastic. But there's so much more to this movie than, than just just that element of it. And you're absolutely right. I want a more nuanced look at why we as a society want to watch particularly women outlive the murderous intent of men. And what do we gain from it? And what do we lose from it? Because I believe there are two sides to that coin. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, Ginny often sort of gets painted with this, she's smart, so she lives brush and smart is certainly part of her and she's certainly very determined. Um, she's not one of those Friday the 13th characters who looks at death in the face and says, I've had a good life. Uh, for some reason, the, the series is full of those people. Uh, she's not one of them. But conversely, like there's a lot of independence to to various final girls uh, over the genre. And what are we are we looking at this in what I would love to think is the most hopeful way, which is I believe that a society that is so patriarchal that that legislates women's bodies that for many years denied them the ability to have a say in our society by vote or by uh, business ownership. Conversely, we have entire groups of people in our Latinx and black communities and Asian communities um, who are, and uh, not to say anything about our, our indigenous, our indigenous populations who are denied things almost actively to this day by by a system meant to to erase that from them what are they have always leaned into horror as a worthy um entertainment and i believe that deep down there is a hope of survival is what brings people to horror over and over again i hope i mean that's what brings me to horror it's the it's it's processing sort of kind of a cultural or a societal kind of trauma through watching someone overcome uh, obstacles that seem insurmountable. Um, so I, I do think that 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 is an intent that a lot of horror fans go into it. Um, I, I also I, I do think that there is I mean, there's obviously people that, that get that get off on the on the, the, the combination of TNA and, and violence in 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 these types of movies it's it's just one of those things where it's like a a dual-edged sword where there's 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 always there's always the the intent behind it and then there's always the audience what they get out of it and it it sometimes can 
audiences can reclaim that narrative, but then other audiences can also ruin it. I think of like, I mean, this isn't horror or slasher, but I think of the intent behind like Fight Club and then the way that it has been, you know, viewed outside of the author's intent and, and the, the creator's intent and used as sort of like a, a celebration of that macho culture, you know, like yeah. everyone focuses on the, the actual Fight Club and don't realize that it's actually a condemnation of that sort of like anarchy and, and nihilism that, that a certain type of youthful 20 something man might feel towards society. Yeah. So like there, I, it's, it's, it's definitely like a, a convoluted and um, I, I think there's a lot of different ways to, to approach it. It's definitely a more nuanced topic than, than some people give it credit for. I think, I mean, every, um, Every genre has its element of fandom that is surface level or and <laughs> so that's always a component you have to get past. And then on top of that, you know, there's also this element of horror movies are meant to break down societal norms like they violate things They're in It's an inherent violation. We have a home. This is supposed to be where we feel safe. Well, now a ghost lives there and he wants you out. <laughs> right. I don't know why I made the ghost to him, but I've decided to. <laughs> um, and so when when a, a movie's supposed to disquiet you and it's supposed to feel like a violation of your safety bubble, part of that is dipping into things that might make you uncomfortable, like forcing you to watch a woman undress when you're in public. Oh, oh, wait a second. Now I'm seeing this guy's butt. D do I like this? Do I not like this? What's happening to me? And it's meant to unmoor you slightly mm. so that you are more prepared to be shocked by the violence element of it. And that, while, um, while it makes sense in a sort of psychological way or in a storytelling sense... It also brings about some very troubling questions about why we like horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do I enjoy all of these different elements? And how can I properly enjoy the things I do like about Friday the 13th Part 2 and sort of give up the idea of this is about looking at this woman's body as she goes skinny dipping, you know, with the Jaws music inherently. Playing. There's nothing fucking wrong with skinny dipping. There should be more guys skinny dipping in this. There should be a lot more wang. There's a oh, lot of things that, that should be uh, more in these movies uh, that are just uh, unfortunately come across as very a product of a patriarchal entertainment system as Paramount was in 1981. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, talking to you about this because I, I know that you're a big fan of the Friday the 13th movies and I when I grew up I didn't really have them in my house it was the the one um horror franchise that was definitely verboten in my house because it was it was kind of that again the sort of like all these young nubile women in the woods getting hacked to pieces so like mm -hmm. it wasn't allowed in my house and i've talked about my my babysitter um <laughs> dotty on this show before um 
or Dodie, my bad, Dodie, on the show before, but she was my babysitter. She was an old woman, and she had a granddaughter that introduced me to uh, one of the Friday the 13th. And I remember sitting there and having my hands over my eyes during any of the naughty parts because that was sort of like the agreement for me watching rated R movies when I was a kid was no nudity. So like anytime uh-huh. there was a boob or, or something like that on, on screen, I had to, I had to have my hands over my eyes and not look. And I, I have this, this memory. I think it might've been part two, but I don't really remember which of the, of the early Fridays it was, but I just remember sitting there watching it with this, this um, probably college age girl. And I had my, my hands over my eyes and she's like, don't do that. <laughs> so, but like, that was my, that was like my only, like, She's like, she said something about like, you don't have to do that here. And I'm like, but I'm, I'm, I'm told that this is how I, I'm supposed to watch these movies. But it was like this, it, it, that was like my introduction to Friday the 13th. So like my, my, I, I, it's not my favorite of the franchises, to be honest. I've always been a Fred head. Um, mm-hmm. And because partly that was because those are the ones that I was allowed to watch as a kid. Um, for some, some reason, those were okay when the Friday the 13th. They're more 13th. fantastical. They are. They, Yeah. They and, might, there might as well be a unicorn walking around in them. Like it makes sense. <laughs> right. Um, so like, it, so it's interesting to hear your perspective on that because um, watching, cause I, I had to watch um, the first six, rewatch the first six for um, guesting on Halloweenies. Cause I was going to talk about the number, uh, the sixth one. And um, I, I just, I, I don't know there's, there's something about these movies that just does not work for me too much, except I will say that this time rewatching number two, I could appreciate it more as sort of like an urban legend type story. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way that, that Jason is presented in this one, because at this point, no one knows that Jason is, is a thing. And so in our minds, it is just, we just have this image going into this movie of, sort of like the, the the child from the end of, of Friday the 13th one pulling, you know, Alice into the water. And so like, I, I really actually grew to love this one a little bit more from, from that regard. But I'm curious about you, Mary Beth, because you also had never seen Friday the 13th movies, correct? Correct. So yeah, I actually watched the first and second one today in prep for the podcast. I, I know that I didn't need to see the first one for this, but I felt like it would make sense if I watched the first one before watching part two. It's not my favorite franchise, but I liked the second one a lot. Sure. Like Terry yeah. said, I really mm-hmm. liked the kind of urban legend angle. It felt much more scary to me. Mm. And the first one, I hadn't seen it, but I saw the end. It was on TV and my dad had it on and I saw the ending. So unfortunately, that was spoiled for me. And everyone on the internet talks about the ending. Like It's like, <laughs> it's not, it's not easy to stay away from this will be a good question for the both of you i don't like where (laughs) the the hockey mask like everyone (laughs) fucking talks about the hockey mask i haven't seen a goddamn hockey mask yet and so i'm just like i don't understand because it's like michael myers you see him in halloween and he has the mask and like he has that aesthetic and you know it Freddy Krueger has his hat and his knife hands and his sweater and his scarred face, and you know it. And then Jason is like, I don't fucking know. (laughs) And I'm just so curious how, Mm -hmm. like, this Mm -hmm. all came to be and, like, that identity became his when in the first two movies that has nothing to do with it. 
I mean, th- that's one of the wild elements of this. Like in the first movie, you know, Jason is this story. He's the inciting incident. He cre- he kind of creates the death curse, as it were, of of Crystal Lake, and uh, that inciting incident, which also <laughs> just briefly. Um, I, I was on, on, on a phone call the other night, a Zoom call with a lot of uh, various horror people, and someone brought up that one of the elements yep. of Friday the 13th that is never talked about is talk the about sort that. of ableism around Jason in and of itself. I mean, this is not for me to talk about, but oh my God, there's such a well that uh, I'm rather ashamed we didn't quite touch on ever. Um, but then again, we're a bit of a comedy podcast. Like you were mixing in facts along the way. <laughs> we're mixing in cultural commentary. Yeah, and so actually, that's okay. I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I really wanted to discuss um, about the film. And um, just as a disclaimer, everybody, I am not um, a su- I'm not super well read on disability activism. So please, if I get anything wrong, like please tweet at us or email us, and I'll be sure to correct in the next episode. Um, but so. Something that I really was kind of focusing on was there's Mark, who is the character in a wheelchair, which is, I mean, great representation. He's in a wheelchair. He's a camp counselor. He still gets a girl. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. he talks about his act is an accident and that he might, he will not always be paralyzed. And then you have Jason, who you see at the last minute and who obviously has some kind of birth defects on his face and potentially mental disabilities, but we don't really know. I mean, they, Jenny talks about him in, in, a, in a way of having mental disabilities, but that's never confirmed. But obviously you can tell that there are birth defects on his face. And there's this really interesting tension about the yeah. temporarily slash good disabled versus the permanently slash bad disabled ice fall in this movie because mark is in a wheelchair and he said it's temporary and like it's the good way of being paralyzed he's or handsome. Paralyzed. yeah and he's, he's handsome like, he's very he's, handsome he's very handsome and so and he is only physically affected it is not affecting his brain or his looks it's just like oh it's so tragic but we, he still perseveres and then there's jason well, they even ask like she asks you know does it work down there basically like right he's like oh, i've not had any complaints is basically kind of the the joke about it right so exactly like he can still have sex he can still be like a normal young adult like he can still party he can do everything and then there's mm-hmm. jason who's the bad disabled who who most likely was born with some kind of disability and he's permanently physically affected in a way that makes him what society would consider ugly and so it is just like a fascinating interesting tension and representations here of like what we think disability is is in terms of being good versus bad and how mental disabilities seem to be like the evil thing and physical disabilities are good and it's just a very interesting thing to parse out and to think about and how we think about disability in horror film because it's yeah and i don't i doubt the the filmmakers or anyone involved in this production gave this an iota no probably not (laughs) but like it's that's what's kind of disappointing sometimes in these movies is they don't think about it and it's so ingrained in societal expectations that like oh yeah like the evil guy is gonna be kind of like 
might have some kind of mental disability. He's going to be ugly. And I think that's just like really goes into the ableism that's steeped within horror films and horror and representations of disability in horror film because monsters mm-hmm. usually have physical disability. And it, and I don't want to like, I don't, I also want to like emphasize that having a character in a wheelchair as a positive, handsome character is awesome. Like that is a really mm-hmm. surprising and great character choice because again like mostly most of the time people in wheelchairs are like used as a joke or it's an old person it's not i think about franklin right i think about franklin oh yeah from texas Chainsaw massacre Massacre. yes who's basically the most annoying person on wheels and that is his role and you know he's meant to be a problem yeah and that that is the core of that character and whereas, you know, here it, it's all very different. And I I really would love some some people who are, are with, within that community to examine this. Yeah, I, would, I, would I would listen to the hell out of it because I think that's a whole element here that we're not getting. And I would love to talk about it, but I'm not right, equipped. Same. So I please, please, if you if, if you were in this community and you love horror films like I want to hear from you, you have something to say. And that's the cool thing right now is that everyone has equal opportunity to voice how they feel about these movies and the audience is waiting for it. You know, one thing that watching these movies that jumped out at me um, is there's a lot of, uh, of gay men in these movies, actors. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I know that the, the sixth one is like, you know, the Friday, the 13th. Right. And um, where it's cause like <laughs> half the cast is, is pretty much queer. Um, yeah. But like, the guy that plays Mark, for instance, um, was a gay man that unfortunately passed away in the, in the nineties, um, from AIDS. And then Russell Todd, the guy that played Scott, I'm, I'm pretty sure he is, he is queer, but man, is he grown up to be a silver Fox daddy? Um, Oh man, he's so damn good looking. Listen, this movie is not, is, is not hard on the eyes. Like there's a lot of hot dudes. Strewn throughout this franchise, and um, that is part of it. They're pull, particularly the first two movies. They're pulling from the New York theater community, mm-hmm. so that's where I think we're getting a lot of represent, representation there. And uh, you're you're seeing like the hottest people within the age group that hadn't been seen a lot in movies, and so that's why you're getting your Kevin Bacon's you know strewn in there and he's you know he he's very easy on the eyes we get to see his ass it's great it's fantastic and all of that element is kind of woven into the franchise like yes it's base yes it's simple yeah as they go on they get dumber but that's true of almost everything (laughs) (laughs) and um i also feel like it's, it's it's so simple that I think uh, younger audiences look at it and go, why would I be scared of any of this? And that I kind of get. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I, do, I do. You know, so yeah. I am, I, even though I'm not a huge fan of, of this franchise, I did order the, the Scream Factory uh, collection. And Good man. Um, I don't know if you've seen the 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 gore cuts. I I was misunderstood. I thought that they were like added back in, but watching them, I can realize why they weren't because they're really terrible VHS quality and without sound. Yeah. 
There's no sound, um, yeah. But let me tell you, it was have you seen it, Patrick? Yes, it I have. It was a weird yeah. experience watching those. I was just, I sat down to watch the the the, the gore uh, scenes and it's it's quiet and it felt like at one point I was watching something that I shouldn't be watching because the quality is so <laughs> terrible and it looks like a it snuff does. Film. It looks like a snuff film. Like uh, the, the first death, Mary Beth is with with Alice. Like her, her head turns, and you can see like the screwdriver's gone through her nose. So like there's a little bit of that, but like the other ones, like in particular, like Scott's death, where he's hanging upside down, and he gets his throat slashed, goes on for a while as the blood is like pouring out. Like and watching it without any sound whatsoever was like I, it made my skin kind of crawl. Honestly, Ew, that does sound like something you've seen like <laughs> Rotten dot com and the and like the 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 past or something like that, like something awful. Like I could honestly see someone take that in particular that that sequence and and like you know trash it up a little bit more with like make it look even even worse and people might mistake it as as a, as a snuff film because it is without the sound it, it reminds me of like something that you would watch in like the the sinister like one of the sinister tapes right because mm. <laughs> it's just like it's just quiet and interesting gory there's a verisimilitude to it because there's not the theatricality right. of the widescreen and the over dramatic music to it. And it's it just like scene that, after scene after scene. So it's like you're sitting there for like five minutes watching <laughs> a throat get slashed, a face get stabbed, uh, <laughs> poor Mark getting thrown down the the stairs. Like oh God, it's, it's yeah. like it's it's um it was surprising. <laughs> yeah, the of course the only thing missing from that that I wish was there, but apparently is lost for time immemorial is the end shot is this slow push in to Pamela Voorhees' head, which you can tell looks very different than the head you saw in the refrigerator. And it almost looks like a person with makeup. It is. It is a person with makeup. And the end gag was her supposedly opening her eyes. And that's the only thing that we still don't have from this movie, which is a real bummer because there's a lot of work that went into that that just lost to the ages. Yeah, it's amazing. So do we want to wrap up and give our final thoughts on the film? Sounds good. Cool. So, Terry, how many horny teens out of five do you give Friday the 13th Part 2? <laughs> um, I give it... Um, this time watching it, I think I actually do give it four um horny teens or horny college students um pardon me horny college students (laughs) out of five um they're in their 20s they're young adults whatever the hell that is Um, but i because you know i really was was drawn into it this time not as a tale of 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 what jason would would become but as this urban legend of someone in the forest that is there hunting um people that has never left and i it really it kind of worked for me this time and i started to like see some scenes that were um homage later on in 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 life like i was immediately the the opening scene immediately brought me to mind of um the opening to hostel 2 where it's Mm, when that one it's like paxton is is dealing with with um traumatic stress and he's his girlfriend doesn't believe him and then not his head his his head his headless body is found by her but like it kind of it's sort of like an inverse of this of of the beginning of this film so like i could see how this movie both took from movies that came before because there's obviously that the kill in this the the spear stab is also kind of taken pretty much 
<laughs> note for note from, from Bay, Bay of Blood. Blood. Yeah. And I, I do mm. think that the uh, the moment, the iconic moment where Jason sits up in bed and he has the, the hood on and you just see his one eye is such a, mm-hmm. an evocative moment because that's the first time that we actually like get to see him see him. Yeah. And it it's a moment that like still, I think, works really well um, as kind of like a a reveal and uh, you know us gays we love our reveals um so i yeah i think this time i actually do give it four um whereas before i, I might not have been as, as generous um what about you mary beth so i'm gonna give it a three horny teens out of horny college students slash young adults out of five <laughs> um i think so one of the things that I was really focused on in watching this was I've been going down a giallo hole for the first time um, in my <laughs> life. And so I've been comparing everything to giallo and being very, very fascinated with how slashers borrow from giallo. And I mm-hmm. couldn't stop thinking about it with this film in a good way. And I I did really enjoy this more than the first one. And the urban, like Terry keeps saying, the urban legend aspect was much was terrifying and a really good way to get it, like to build up that scare. I just don't know if Friday the Thirteenth is the franchise for me. That being said, I will watch all of them, so we'll see. <laughs> um, Patrick, you have the yeah. final say. How many horny uh, young adults out of five do you give Friday the Thirteenth Part Two? <laughs> um, yeah, this is a this is a four to a four and okay. a half. This, this is pretty good. And, um, there's, there's a lot, the giallo element of it, the killer POV, which it loses uh, after this movie, the mystery element. Yeah. Um, when people, when audiences went into movie theaters, they didn't know who Jason was. There was no hockey mask yet. All of the things that are pop culturally known about Jason aren't really collected in this movie. That killer could be anyone. And I'm really going to blow some people's minds here. There is an open debate as to whether or not the person we call Jason is actually that kid mm, from that. Okay. Like, that makes sense, though. I, I couldn't stop thinking about that either. I was like, is this the same Jason? Is this the same boy? Or could it be someone different? I actually actively was thinking about that. So that's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, listen, we as the movies go on, they double down on legitimizing it. But it's inherently impossible, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And up until the point, like, he becomes a zombie and never dies, then, like, okay, that's fine. But inherently, this comes down to a singular trauma in which a single woman lost her child and it breaks her. And she, at that point, a, a disabled child whom she could not leave anywhere else. And she had to continue to work. Yeah. And that child dies tragically when no one is watching. And ultimately, if that is in fact true, then what happens from part two on is some sort of ghost revenant or death curse, as crazy Ralph with his beautiful bike posture puts it. And... uh, so there's a there the more you invest in it the deeper the tragedy it's got the cheap thrills it's got the fun makeup you know it it has all the party film aspects mm-hmm. of it still but the more you examine the components of it the, there is a sad undertone there definitely to it is. 
that that I think is worthy of conversation and it should be allowed in the same way we talk about the deeper elements of Nightmare on Elm Street or the deeper elements of the Halloween, at least the original. Uh, where it goes from there, that's, that's your 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 mileage may vary. Um child's play, how it is allowed to evolve. Um so for me, uh this this is this is a great one. And it's it's fun. I like the POV elements of it. It is super goofy. At one point, a character opens up a door and there's a toilet it <laughs> with this giant music stab. Yeah. And it's just like a toilet, which then like that means that Jason has a toilet <laughs> and that he's been actively using in the plumbing still working. <laughs> There's a lot of questions that I have about this motion picture, but I could talk about it forever. Yeah. And honestly, I have been, That's true. <laughs> I've been talking about it forever. Uh, and thank you for letting me of do course, it. Of course. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for joining us to talk about Friday the 13th Part 2. Where can the just find you and what do you have coming up? Uh, well, Kill by Kill is available anywhere uh, podcasts are. If you find one that doesn't, uh, give it to you. Let, let me know, and I'll try to fix it. Um, but we're pretty much out there everywhere. We're on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod. We've got a Facebook group uh, where we talk about things a, a bit more detail. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterbox. We have a Patreon that will give you additional weird content that we do every month. And uh, yeah, uh, we're coming up here. At the lighter part of the year, things are a little weird. We're talking uh, a couple weird Thanksgiving elements Ooh. that we're doing. We're talking uh, about Blood Rage, finally. <gasps> I love blood Rage. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Terry, but it's not cranberry sauce. <laughs> uh, a line that is repeated far too often far too for often. A, a good line to but work. I love it. Um, <laughs> we're also doing Saw's Giving, where we asked our audience, uh, because we've never seen any Saw movie past the first one, which would be the most confusing sequel to watch <laughs> without having any knowledge about it. Our audience has chosen, and you'll find out about it the Friday after Thanksgiving. We're talking about uh, uh, Hannibal, and uh, we're going we're to finish up the first season by the end of the year. And then in the new year... Um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be back at Scream Two at some point. Sweet. So lots to look forward to. Awesome. So listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What is your experience with Friday the thirteenth part two? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com or reach out directly to us on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Treadful. And of course, make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. 
here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.